The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So this morning we're reading from Acts chapter 27. You can grab a Bible from under your chair or you can look on the screen behind me. Okay, chapter 27, verse 9. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew greatly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must not run aground on some island. Well, we're in our last two weeks of our series, Jesus Continued, the book of Acts. And what we've been looking at in the book of Acts is the story of all that Jesus continued to do through his church at the very beginning through the book of Acts. And I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. This is the part you should be nodding your head up and down. Yes, we've really enjoyed it. Um, Now, what we've seen in this book is the last seven or eight chapters is that it really, really zeroes in on Paul, the Apostle Paul, and shows us his journey from being arrested in Jerusalem to eventually arriving in Rome in chapter 28. So the last seven or eight chapters is taken up with his arrest, his trials, and his journey from Jerusalem to the city of Rome, his destination. And what we've seen along the way the past few weeks is we've talked about how we can see that Paul had in this journey, we see his spiritual courage. We, we also talked about how we saw how he was about the proclamation of the good news, 
We also saw about the source or, of Paul's or his secret source of strength to continue along the way. And what we're going to see today is really a theme that goes along with the rest of those things that we've covered. But it's really important to see because what is easy to overlook as we're reading the Bible is you sit down and if you actually read the Bible, you can, you can read these last few, seven or eight chapters in really just a few minutes. But what you miss as you read it is you miss the incredibly long amount of time it took for Paul to live this out. And the meandering journey that he went along to finally get to his destination. It took a long time and it was a meandering journey. Uh, From the time that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem to the time that he finally steps foot into the city of Rome is somewhere around four to six years. And we think it was more on the six year end of 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 the size. Can you imagine that? He's arrested in Jerusalem wrongly. And then from the time that it takes him to get there in custody of the Roman Empire to finally make it to Rome is almost six years. And the journey was not easy. It was full of disappointment and frustration. It was maddening and it starts and stops. It is full of suffering for Paul in order to get to the destination that God has called him to, to go to Rome. Which, by the way, is the story here is that when Paul was finishing his last missionary journey, God told him, you have to go to Jerusalem and then you're going to go to Rome. So Paul knows that is his marching order to go to Jerusalem and go to Rome. And he knows that along the way, he's going to endure suffering and a lot of disappointment and frustration along the way. And it is is full of that. So just to give you a picture, we're going to kind of do like we did last week. We're going to look big picture of the story, and then we're going to zero in at a couple places that will hopefully highlight what is going on in the story. So just to give you an idea of what's happening in beginning of chapter 25 through verse 10 of chapter 28. So that's the whole section we're looking at is Paul finds himself in a jail in Caesarea, which is the Roman provincial capital near Jerusalem. And he's under, originally under a governor named, a Roman governor named Felix. And Felix has him, has a, he appears before Felix in trial. And Felix doesn't really know what to do with him. And so he keeps him around in jail for two years. And finally, he finally passes him off to the next guy and says, hey, this is your problem now. And uh, the unfortunately named Festus comes in and he takes over for Felix after that. And Festus comes in and he travels down to Jerusalem to meet the Jews. And it seems like the first order of business of the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem in Festus's new reign as governor is to say, Hey, Festus, what are you going to do about this guy named Paul? We really want him killed. And so what we want you to do is we want you to bring him from Caesarea, which is pretty near Jerusalem, down here to Jerusalem, and let's do a trial for him right here. And what, uh, they, what Festus doesn't know is that the Jews have determined that they're going to kill Paul on the trip between Caesarea. They're just going to take care of justice themselves and kill Paul the trip between Caesarea and, and Jerusalem. And Festus says, no, the, Jew, the Roman law says that you have to appear before... Uh, 
the, the, accuser, the accused gets to appear before his accuser. And so you have to come to Caesarea and accuse Paul there. And so they do. They come, they follow him back to Caesarea. They have a trial. And in this trial, they lay out their case for him. And Paul, you know, lays out his defense. And Festus does not know what to do. He's like, you guys, this seems to be like a religious squabble between you guys. And I don't understand what to do. So Paul, what if we send you back to Jerusalem and I'll go there with you and we'll do a religious, you, can, you guys can do your little religious trial there. And Paul says, no, I've been arrested under Roman law, so it's to Caesar who I appeal to. And so what this was is that this was like an ace card that was in, uh, or a wild card that was in every uh, Roman citizen's back pocket. And if you were standing trial any place outside of Italy, you could, and things were going poorly, you didn't feel like you were getting a fair trial, then you could pull out this card and say, I appeal to Caesar, and everything has to stop, and they have to send you to Caesar for him to hear your trial. And the idea was so that that way you can get a fair trial. It doesn't mean you're not going to get sentenced. It's just mean that way you can hear a fair trial. Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus is like, man, I don't even know what to tell Caesar about this cat named Paul. Like, they're having some religious squabble. They want to kill him. I don't know what to even do with him. And so he kind of keeps around for a while. And King Agrippa, who was king over a, a small area around Lebanon, comes down with his sister Bernice, which, uh, you know, there was some gossip going on between about King Agrippa and Bernice about what was going on between them, some weird stuff between, you know, brother and sister. But that, that really doesn't play in the story. I just thought I'd drop that on you to sort of gross you out. And so... And so they, they appear there, and, and Festus says, hey, man, I got this cat named Paul. I don't know what to do with him. Will you guys listen to his story? They said, yeah, we'll hear him. And so they have a big pompous ceremony, and uh, Paul comes in, and he lays out his life, his story of how he came to Christ before Festus and Agrippa and his weird sister Bernice. And so he lays out his story. And Paul says to Agrippa, who was aware of what had been going on with Jesus and the whole story, he says, don't you believe? And Agrippa says, Paul, in such a short time, would you convince me to be a Christian? But they still don't have a reason that Paul should be killed. And so they say to each other, Festus and Agrippa, they said, man, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could let him free. Paul had appealed to Caesar, and so Festus delivers Paul to the centurion who's on his way to Rome to guard him and to take him to Rome. So then he begins a journey from Caesarea by boat, hitting several places along the way to get to Rome. Now, Paul had, up to this point, had traveled extensively. In his church planting trips alone, we think that he traveled about 3,500 nautical miles As a church planter, he got around. And so he's experienced what it's like on the sea. And it's getting late in the, in the season of sailing. And so he tells the centurion, Hey, it's, it's almost November and nobody travels after November on the Mediterranean sea on long trips. And if we continue this journey, I get a sense that we're going to, it's not going to go well for us. We're going to experience a loss of life. The centurion listened to the pilot on the boat. And they still try the journey. So while they're on the Mediterranean Sea, a nor'easter comes up. It's basically like a hurricane comes up and they are caught up in it. They end up getting caught up in it for 14 days. Now, um, I got seasick on a cruise ship. 
we, Megan and I were, were married, were newly married, and we get on the cruise ship, a Carnival Cruise Line giant ship, and we are on the edges of a tropical storm. We're not in the tropical storm. We're on the edges of the tropical storm. Most people, it's not bothering, but me, a cat from Conway, South Carolina, like I'm turning green and it it, it it is not the ideal honeymoon night for us on this cruise ship. That's on the edge on a giant ship. Can you imagine what it'd be like on a small boat that holds a few hundred people in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? How terrible that would be. It's so terrible that the sailors themselves, these experienced sailors, don't eat for 14 days. They're either too busy trying to keep the ship afloat or they're so seasick that they don't feel like eating that for two weeks they do not eat. They're stuck. They're giving up for it's going to be a loss. We're going to die. And Paul comes before them one morning. He says, I have been visited by an angel. And this angel has promised me, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And this angel has promised me that not a hair on our heads will be lost, but we will all make it safely to land. And not long after that, but he tells them, he says, you guys should eat. Not long after that, they start to see that they, the, they're, getting, they're taking measurements and they are getting closer to land. And finally, they run aground on a sandbar and it starts to break up the ship. This is Paul's tough journey. Think about the journey, by the way. He's trying to get to Rome. The ship starts to break up. This is Paul's second shipwreck he's been in his life. The ship starts to break up and the soldiers, the sailors have already tried to escape and Paul caught them and they couldn't steal the boat and go away. The soldiers now want to kill the prisoners because if you are a Roman soldier and your prisoner that you're guarding gets lost, he he leaves, he escapes, then you are to endure the same penalty that your prisoner had coming to you. So they say, let's just go ahead and kill them now so we don't have to suffer. And the centurion says, for the sake of Paul, no, no. Let them live. The ship starts to break up. Some swim and some uh, go on uh, wreckage, float on wreckage to land. And all 276 of those aboard make it safely to land. They find out that they're on an island called Malta. And the uh, natives there are showing them kindness. They build them a fire to try to warn them because it's rainy and cold. And Paul, this is insult to injury, right? I mean, he's a prisoner wrongly accused. He's on his way to Rome in a ship that gets caught in a a storm after he warned him not to go. It's breaking up. He's washed ashore. He's cold, it's wet, and it's rainy. And he's carrying a bundle of sticks to put on the fire. And a viper comes, who is suddenly, uh, you know, gets moving because of the heat, comes out of the fire, bites Paul in the hand, and is hanging from his hand. (laughs) That's insult to injury, right? The natives don't even try to help because they think, hey, this guy is guilty and this is justice that God, some God won't let this guy get free. And so even though he survives a shipwreck, this snake is going to kill him. And they watch him for a while and he doesn't swell up and he doesn't die. And then they decide, hey, this guy must be a God. So he winters on Malta with the other people who are on the ship. And along the way, the, the leader of the island of Malta, his dad has been sick. Well, we think it might have been something called Maltan fever, which they discovered in like the late 1800s. 
let's go to uh, uh, a cure for actually then uh, that there was these uh, there was this uh, germ or uh, something going around in the goat's milk on the island. And if you contracted this disease, you would, ha- you would have a fever for an average of four months. And there are some reports of people having fevers for two to four years. He was very sick. And he prayed for this man, his father, the father of the leader of the island. This man is healed. And then all the sick people of the island are brought to Paul and his, the fellow believers. And they pray for them and they're healed. So they send them along the way. And finally, finally, Paul makes it to Rome only to be put in lockdown and forgotten for a long time. That's the story of Paul's trip to Rome. It's a long and meandering and difficult story full of suffering. But Paul's, this wasn't really new to Paul. His whole life had been a journey since he became a believer. He never stayed in any one place very long. He was always on a journey from one place to the next. It's really the story that we see in Paul as a story of journeys. And this last journey is the last leg of the last journey of his life. But really what we're going to look at for us and try to learn some some lessons for us is, uh, isn't life like a journey? Uh, Some of us think that like we're working towards a certain destination in life. Like if I could just make it to college or if I could just graduate or if I could just get a job, if I could just get married, if I could just have kids, if I could just do whatever, if I could make this amount of money, if I could make it to this city, if I could have this many followers, if I could have this body, if I could lose this weight, if I could, you know, whatever the case may be, like we always have a destination in mind, but every time we reach the destination, don't we figure out that's not a destination and it's time to journey somewhere else? Life is a continual journey. And what we're going to learn about, hopefully, from, about that we can relate to our journey from Paul's journey are three things. We're going to try to learn three lessons and how Paul managed his journey and how we can manage ours in life. Number one, we see that Paul remembers the reason for the journey. We see, secondly, that Paul doesn't overlook the journey. And we see also that Paul lets the destination ennoble, that's a weird word, but we'll get to why I'm using that, ennoble the pain of the journey. These are the lessons for our life. We need to remember the reason for the journey, don't overlook the journey, and let the destination ennoble the pain of the journey. For you note takers that are maddened that I use a word like ennoble, it's E-N-N. O-B-L-E, type A's, we can move on now. Number one, the way to follow our journey in life, the way Paul followed his journey is to, number one, remember the reason for the journey. Paul's journey from Jerusalem, unfairly arrested, to making it to Rome was six years long. That's a long time to be on a journey. But his journey had even begun long before that. He was called originally by God on the road to Damascus. And God told him that he would suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ in his life. 
He said that you're going to appear before kings and you're going to appear before rulers. And then later on, he tells him you have to go to Jerusalem. And he tells him at one point, don't be afraid because you're going to make it to Rome. As you have testified to me in Jerusalem, so also you have to testify to me in Rome. But the journey, it doesn't make the journey any less long or any less full of suffering, does it? To know the destination. If you've ever taken a family vacation with small kids, you know that's, you know that's true. As glorious as the destination may be, you know, you're, look, you're picturing Disney World in your mind. You're picturing that oceanfront room or that beach house in your mind. The long packing and the long drive and the complaining and the crying and the fighting and the one time we had to, we took Sophia and she was she was potty training and we had to put like a little potty in the back of the car and had to stop every time she had to use the bathroom and like like I guess it was kind of ghetto now that I think about it we would put her in the we would open up the hatch try to like guard her so nobody could see her on the road and let her pee right there on the road so she wouldn't, like, have an accident. I'm sure Sophia's glad I shared that story. (laughs) Because you have a destination, it doesn't make the journey any less long or any less hard or any less painful, does it? How did Paul keep going? I mean, wouldn't it be easy to give up at some point of this journey? I mean, he has five trials recorded in this journey. And each one, he defends himself. Each one, the ruler says, I don't really see why he should be, like, why, why, why we should, he should be anything but acquitted. But yet he st- they keep him in chains. And they pass him off to the next person, to the next person. He finally gets on the ship to go. He tells them we shouldn't go. The storm comes up. They don't eat for 14 days. They're, going, they're afraid they're going to die. Finally, Paul knows that they're not going to. And then they're shipwrecked on top of that. And then a snake bites them. Knowing the destination doesn't make the journey any less difficult or any less hard. But it does, it does frame the journey for us. Paul remembered his destination all the way through his journey. And that's what kept his focus. And that's what kept him looking through the, the whole meandering journey. It's what kept his focus ahead on where he was supposed to be going. If you've ever read the book, uh, The Pilgrim's, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, when the pilgrim uh, first wakes up and he sees like his need of salvation and the man named evangelist comes along the way and he says, what must I do to be saved? The evangelist says, do you see that light over there? And he says, yes. He says, go towards that light. The destination frames and helps us focus in the middle of a long and hard and difficult and meandering journey. And has, sometimes does your life feel like that? I mean, when you're young, your life is ahead of you. And you think, man, I know exactly what is going to happen with my life. I've got it totally planned out. I remember I thought like all the people who've come before me, who have made mistakes and have not ended up doing what they wanted to do, what the heck was wrong with them? I am going to be focused and I'm going to do everything I intend to do. And the longer that you live, the more you realize life is a long and difficult and meandering journey. It takes you on stops along the way that you did not expect to stop at. 
It takes you in directions that you did not expect to go. But Paul kept the destination in focus. You, here's your great destination in life. You are called, or should be your great destination. You are called to glorify God in your life, to showcase through your life his nature and his character to the people around you. You're called, the the Westminster uh, Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Or why were we created? Why are we here? And it says, number one, to glorify God. And secondly, to enjoy him forever. That is why you were created. That is your destination. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 when he gives the parable of the talents. And there's a one guy is given by his master five talents. Another guy is given two talents. Another guy is given one talent. And the master goes away. And as he's gone, the guy with five talents invests it. And he gets a return on investment of 100% return. He has 10 talents now. The other guy with two, he does the same thing. And now he has four talents. The guy with one, like buried it in his yard and then pulled it back up and said, see, I still have the talent. But what does he say to the first two? We won't get into all the implications of that story, but what does he say to the first two? The guy with five who invested it and gets five back, and the guy had two and invests those and gets those two back, double. What does he say to them? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That is should be all of our intended destination. To get to the end and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are faithful with little. Because no matter how much or how little you have in this life, it's little compared to what you'll have in eternity if you're a believer. We want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But think about this. He says the same thing to the guy with five talents who got five back as he does this to the guy who had two talents and gets two back. Well, that speaks to the fact that we all have different journeys, right? But Paul, we're all tempted to want to compare our journey to other people's journeys, aren't we? Paul could have been sitting on this ship as it's in the middle of this terrible storm and thinking, God, What about John? John is sitting back in Jerusalem or hanging out even in, uh, even when he's in trouble, he's hanging out on the Isle of, he's he's hanging out on the island, the Isle of Patmos. Like, what about those guys? What about the Apostle James who's back in Jerusalem just hanging out? What about Thomas? He got to go to India. I have been shipwrecked now, going to be twice. I'm in the middle of this storm. I'm wrongfully accused, wrongfully enchained, headed to Rome, and I don't know what awaits me there. And all you've given me an assurance to say, we must run aground on some island. But we're going to be safe. Paul's path, his journey was harder than some others, but it was also easier than others. But we're also tempted to want to compare the journeys, right? To look over and say, what about them? Like, I know you've called me to walk my path, but why did they get the nice car? Like, I love you and they love you. Like, I'm, I don't, you know, that's okay. They drive that car. What about me? 
They get to have kids. I don't get to have kids. They have a husband. I don't have a husband. This isn't fair. My journey, it's harder. They don't have cancer. I do. It's easy to want to compare journeys and look over in other lanes. But the point isn't the comparison of the journey. It's what do you do with the two talents or the five talents that he gives you? Because the journey isn't the point. The destination is the point. To do with what he has given us in our hands to do, wherever he has placed us, and to at the end hear him say, well done. The point isn't whether you turn five talents into ten or two talents into four. The point is that you get to the end and you hear him say, good job. You've been faithful over little, now enter into much. I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I know I tell you guys that all the time. If you have not read them, you need to read all seven books, one way or the other. One thing that you see often is the, the he, there's this guy named Shasta and the horse and his boy, and he finally meets Aslan. And he asks Aslan, the lion, who's the picture of Jesus in the story, he asks Aslan, he said, like, what about this girl over here? What about what she did? And he answers him and says, the, he says, child, I'm telling you your story. No one is told any story but their own. Your concern isn't what anybody else has been given and what they're doing with it. It's only what he's called you to do with your own story, with your own talents. The question is, do you trust the one who's writing the story? It's easy to compare our journey with others. It's also easy to become overly focused on the journey, right? It'd be so easy for Paul to become so focused on the journey that he's on that he forgets the destination because it's so immediate, right? Life is so immediate. The journey, our journey is so immediate. Sometimes it's so good that we forget the destination. And sometimes it's so bad that we're tempted to forget the destination. The journey is full of pleasure and it's full of pain along the way, just like it was for Paul. The question is, are you keeping the destination in focus? Or are you being distracted by the immediate pain or the immediate pleasure that you're experiencing along the way? The destination, where we're all headed if you're a believer in Christ, where we're headed, to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, the destination defines the journey. We would all endure a difficult trip to Hawaii if on the other end of the trip was a free two-week stay in a luxurious oceanfront villa. We would all endure a difficult trip there. Who cares how you get to paradise as long as you get there, right? But it's easy to get so distracted by the journey and the pain and pleasure along the way that we lose sight of the destination. And suddenly we don't even know where we are anymore or where we're going. 
Paul knew his destination, but he also had an assurance of his destination. These are the key verses, I think, in this whole uh, section. uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 23 through 25. Uh, Paul told the people on the ship, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold... God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. That it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul had received an assurance that they were going to receive safe arrival, that he was actually going to appear before Caesar in the end, that they were going to survive this storm, that they were going to survive the shipwreck. And it's that, it's that the assurance that kept him focused to the, the payoff at the end. But it was a deeper assurance than just the fact that they were going to make it to shore and he was going to make it to Rome. How do we know that? Because we read in Philippians, he reads of the overriding uh, principle of his life, the overriding drive in his life that pushed him. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, and 10 and 11, and 13 and 14. Listen to these. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Think about the journey as we're reading this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was the greater destination that Paul kept in mind. I want to know him and attain the resurrection from the dead to, to be close to him, to feel his pleasure, as we saw in that Matthew chapter 5 passage. In Revelation 21, this is what Paul is thinking about. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's paradise. Listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
Rome for Paul was a destination, but it was not the destination. There was limited payoff and limited assurance to make it to to Rome. He didn't know what was going to happen when he got there, but he knew that when it was all said and done, he wanted to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he wanted to have God wipe away every one of his tears to be united with God forever in a new heaven and a new earth in a resurrected body and to see no more mourning and no more death. And you are on your way to that destination if you're a believer. Remember that that's the reason for the journey. The destination is the reason for the journey. We're going through a difficult journey now in life. But remember the reason at the end to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I gave you. And for some of us, he's given us a lot of pleasure and a lot of joy here all of us, he's given us some amount of pain and suffering here. The payoff is at the end, at the destination. Remember the reason for the journey, but also don't overlook the journey. Sometimes the journey feels so long and it feels so unnecessarily Hard, doesn't it? Doesn't life sometimes feel so long and so unnecessarily hard? But it is necessary, and God is working in the middle of the journey. Paul probably doesn't feel like it. It seems like this story of his journey is a story of of suffering after suffering, disappointment after disappointment, frustration after frustration. We see him appear before kings and rulers, but whenever he appears before them and he proclaims the gospel, we don't see any reason to believe that they came to faith in Christ. We don't see any reason to believe that the centurion or the soldiers and sailors around him on this trip came to Christ. We see very little, in fact, it, it seems to feel like we see very little fruit in this part of Paul's life compared to the rest of his life when he was planting churches. But all that time and effort is not lost. He was on God's journey for him. And God was working something inside Paul, just as as he is working something inside us as we are on the way to him, the destination. God's using the circumstances along the way in life and the journey to train us to trust him and to train us to find ultimate pleasure and joy in him alone and not here. God's working through us in ways that we do not understand. Paul probably saw very little fruit on this path on his way to Rome. And yet we have to, even we see little fruit on this long way, but we know that God was working his plan for his glory. God is working in the journey. We don't always understand how, but the truth is we don't have to understand how. We just have to trust him that he is. All that we're responsible for is what he has put in our hands, 
wherever he has placed us and to know that he has the final destination locked down for us if you're a believer. Remember the reason for the journey. Don't overlook the journey. And lastly, let the destination ennoble the pain of the journey. This word ennoble, I tried to find a better word. (laughs) But it's the best word I could find and I can think of. To ennoble something means to give something dignity. It's to add value to something. It's to add nobility to something that isn't otherwise clear. Paul had an assurance that he was going to make it to Rome. He had an assurance that they were going to survive the storm. But there was going to be pain and uncertainty along the way. Look at what he says to to the sailors whenever he stands up and tells them they're going to be saved. He says, God has granted you all those who sail with you. He says what the angel said. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Listen to this, but we must run aground on some island. Even though Paul had been given assurance that they were going to make it through the storm and he was going to eventually make it to Rome, the assurance didn't give him all the details along the way. All he knew is that we're going to run aground. That was not going to be pleasurable. Paul had already survived one shipwreck. Surviving a shipwreck is not fun. There's going to be pain and suffering along the way. He didn't know it was going to involve a cold, rainy beach and a fire and a snake. He didn't know that whenever he got to Rome, he was going to still be in chains. He didn't know that he would, according to history, that he was going to be acquitted and then rearrested later and finally martyred for his faith. He didn't know all that was going to happen along the way. We're going to be saved But first, we must run aground on some island. He didn't even know where that was going to happen or the details of how it was going to unfold. He was just going to have to experience, let it play out. And if you are here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have you been born again, if you have then you have an absolute assurance of the final destination, but you don't know how it's going to play out between now and then. If you're here and you have not been born again and you are not a believer in Christ, you also have an assurance of a destination that is far worse and full of no final joy and pleasure and peace at the end. I pray today would be the day you would become a believer. But even if you are sure, if you're a believer and you're assured of the destination at the end, it doesn't lessen the pain of the journey along the way. Remembering the destination, where we're going, doesn't, doesn't mean that we ignore the pain, but it does ennoble the pain. It gives a dignity and a meaning to the pain that we experience along the way. That isn't there otherwise. Close with these few thoughts. I, I don't remember exactly when I had the first thought. 
first conversation with Megan about wanting to uh, plant a church or help lead a church. But I do remember a, a, a day about 16 or 17 years ago, I was cutting grass and I was listening to this pastor uh, on my headphones as I was doing it. And I remember he was telling the story about how he had been at his church for about three or four years. And he had spent this time, the first few years at his church, trying to help his people understand that our greatest mission in life and our greatest joy in life is to glorify God in our lives. And one night he got a call, one of those terrible calls that you get as a, as a pastor. A couple who had been pregnant had given birth and the baby wasn't supposed to live more than a couple of days. That's a heartbreaking call to get. An incredibly painful thing. Something we should mourn over. And he shows up to the hospital room and he walks in and this couple is there and they're tears, obviously. And he walks in and they said something though to the effect of when they saw him, they said, Pastor, this is incredibly painful, but we pray that God would be glorified through this. He had done his best to try to lead these people to the realization that God's glory is our ultimate joy and we don't understand the painful turns that life makes along the way. But the deepest prayer of the believer is God be glorified in this, in the middle of the pain and the sorrow and the heartbreak. And that I remember listening and I remember thinking that that was the moment when I knew I wanted to help lead a church to help lead a community of people who lets the cross ennoble the pain of the journey along the way. To say, God, it doesn't mean that it's less, that it hurts less, but it does give dignity and meaning to the pain. Because the cross is what ennobles our suffering in this journey of life. Because it's there that Jesus shared and took our deepest pain and our deepest suffering. And he took that so that we could be assured of a better destination at the end. The cross doesn't lessen the pain that we feel along the way, but it does redeem it. That's what Paul means in that section of Philippians when he says, I want to share in the sufferings of Christ that I may attain to the resurrection. It redeems the suffering. It redeems the pain. It shows God's glory through it and shows his value to us through it. Paul remembered the destination, not only of Rome, but where he was heading at the end. And he let that ennoble his journey and ennoble the pain and suffering along the way. If 
you're a believer, you have a rock solid assurance that is as real as the historical fact that Jesus Christ died on that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for you. And that is enough to help us not overlook the journey, but focus on the destination at the end, knowing that it is rock solid and sure. And to know that everything that we suffer and go through in this life, as we're focused on him, that he would be glorified through it, will glorify him and it will be redeemed to the end and every tear will be wiped away. And all mourning will be turned to joy and all that has been wrong will be made right. That's the joy and the hope of the believer. And that's where he's glorified. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.